Hello and welcome to AI Unfiltered with me, Ian Bowie, and our resident expert, Mikael Stormbom, where we will be talking about everything to do with AI in our modern digital society and what the future holds for all of us. I don't think, actually, you can live very easily these days without a proper smartphone. No, I mean it's a it's a term, a digital exclusion. When you yeah, if you're not using this or you don't have the competence to use it, and like you're you're, yeah. re- you're literally excluded from yes, actually large areas of society. So I think and I think there are two angles to that. I mean, one is the can we use digital stuff to make things more inclusive? And I would argue that to some extent we can. For example, for I mean, from a mobility perspective, for example, and for for people living remotely, that you can have access to services. Yeah, yeah. So that's the one. But then the other one is that people having the this is the exclusion part of people having the necessary competences and the bandwidth to actually use that thing. I don't think it's necessarily just the competencies, but I think it's also just um, access to the technology itself. Um, yes. Th- there's there's a lot of people out there who possibly even already have the skills. They might have learned them in school. They might have learned them in university. I mean, for example, all right, a very good example. Um, I'm going to start a master's degree um, this autumn. And there's a couple of skills that I really, really want to um, improve. And one is photography and the other one is filmmaking. And no, but I mean, what, what, what the university told me was that they have got all the latest and all the greatest equipment there and it will be accessible to me as a student, uh, along with tutors who can train me in how to use all of this stuff. Well, of course, you know, the one thing that became quite clear to me is there'll be equipment in there which is worth thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds, which at the moment I certainly wouldn't have access to because I couldn't afford it. Um, But I do have access to that higher level education, um... So that, I think, gives me an advantage. You know, there's a lot of people out there, they don't have access to the education. They certainly haven't got the financial wherewithal to buy the equipment that they, they would like to have. Um, but they probably have the acumen and the intellectual capital to be able to use it all and probably use it very, very well. And so I think a large part of inclusion is actually making the technology accessible to people who don't necessarily have the financial means to buy it for themselves. Yeah, and I mean, one example of that, I mean, not to go into 3D printing, I think we can save that for a future episode as such. It's an interesting topic. Yeah, but I mean, the libraries, uh, I think here in Turku and of course in Helsinki, the Audi library, they have the 3D printers there. Yeah. So you would need, you don't need to go and buy a 3D no. printer for yourself. No, you, you can, can just pop into you, the library. Yeah, you go there, you put, you put in your USB stick and print what you... Yeah, but again, again, you know, we're, we're talking about um, a rich Western developed country that has excellent public services like the library system. Yeah, no, but I, I think that's part of inclusion, just giving... It, oh, I, I agree completely. But again, we're talking about inclusion in a country where you already have a lot of advantaged people. But then what about if we even stay, stay let's stay in Europe, would those libraries also be offering 3D printing services to the public. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And well, I, I, I don't know, but yeah. But uh, no, I mean, that's, uh, of course, a good point that we are, of course, very privileged here in, here in Finland. And yeah, I, I mean, no, I, no, no I, argument there, but... Uh, I, I actually don't even think that public libraries in the United Kingdom are offering 3D printing services. 
I'm sure they're not. And I, I don't see why you can't enhance the public services that are offered. I mean, you know, libraries started out by simply lending books and they've moved into music and videos and all sorts of things. Um, I see no reason why they can't evolve to include a range of other services as well. Yeah, no, no, indeed. So, I mean, I think I think there's a lot to be said for the for library services yeah. here, here in Finland. Definitely, I think it's a, it's a great great asset that we. Oh, have. absolutely. I mean, I think the library services in Finland are, are absolutely fabulous. And having these sort of like a common like spaces for creativity, I think that's yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, as if I think about the, the the library here in Turku where we are, um, they they've got um, meeting rooms. You can hold small conferences, all kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think about the library in the small town where my mum lives in England. Um, they lend books. I think that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, it's a small rural town in the north of England, but, you know, um, the, the, it's chalk and cheese. There's a massive difference um, in Turku Public Library here in Finland and a small rural library even in you know, the northwest of the UK. Yeah, so uh, I think the conclusion is that uh, everyone should move to Finland because, <laughs> no, but... Well, yeah, I mean, but but I think I think the conclusion is that th- there are massive differences in accessibility or the possibility to access um, these kinds of technologies, even within Europe, yes. let alone the rest of the world. And I mean, even within Finland. If we go into the accessibility point a bit, so AI might decrease the need for mobility, which um, by which I mean if you can access your services through your computer or device, so you don't need to physically. So you actually don't need go to physically to, go somewhere. Yeah, like the bank, for example. Well, they're very happy about that, aren't they? They don't want to see us anyway. No, indeed. But I mean, there's a so I mean, there's two angles. That I mean, one is the hmm. accessibility angle that if you have some some form of mobility impairment tell us true mind you having said that I, i i actually see that also as a bonus not having to waste my time going to these places you know i i actually don't really mind um the fact that banking has gone online for example because i used to hate having to go yeah, into mean, the bank and wait for god knows how long no indeed um, how many takes i mean you waste your wasting your work day and then you have to oh, it's a yeah. complete hassle so yeah absolutely yeah so it's a big time saver oh yes absolutely But you see, the, again, the problem is that that when you were talking about physical mobility or a lack of it, yeah, then the people that also that suffer from a lack of physical mobility are often also um, economically disadvantaged as well. Uh, I have a mobility problem, uh, which means that you probably have fewer um, possibilities for access to employment, which means therefore you're possibly more reliant on social services and benefits which means that basically you are in the lower segment of society in 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 terms of income yeah and you might not then no. be able to afford right. the yeah. equipment you would need to yeah that that is a interesting question because mobile phones are getting more and more powerful you know the processors i mean the processing power is phenomenal these days if you get the, especially the high end phones but If you have got, let's say, um, a speech-to-text app on your phone, so that's using AI, 
do, do they actually need that kind of pro- you know do, does does that kind of ai program require a huge amount of processing power from your device uh well there are two approaches to that one is that the actual speech the text actually runs in the cloud uh-huh, okay, so then, right. then you don't really need the right. processing power but of course in situations where there might not be internet and uh, yeah. so forth which of course can can happen then there's a sort of like a lower quality mm. that it isn't quite as accurate right. but runs on locally on the phone yeah and then if we go back to the, you know the idea with using ai in education and then personalized learning programs, for example, for children, would these kids then need access to digital devices that have large processing capacities? I think that's an interesting question that also I think came to the forefront during the corona pandemic and you, that you need, so, and the sort of forced remote learning that you, you need to be at home and mm. then you need to have a computer that can run Teams or whatever. So. Yeah. It's not uh, so you need, you need to have a certain amount of processing power at your disposal, which you don't necessarily have. So I do think that's a very. I mean, I, I actually think there is a very very strong case for making um, access to digital hardware a right for citizens, and that the government should be prepared to I don't know hand out maybe a basic laptop or a, a, some kind of tablet computer to everybody over the age of 18 yeah no i mean i, I agree because i mean i mean it's the yeah, i mean it's very much the government who's also pushing this digitalization of of society so um i mean i remember meeting um, about two years ago a lady on the bus uh, i don't take the bus very often but this particular day i was on the bus and um got talking to this lady and um she was telling me what, why she'd actually gone into town. And the reason that she'd gone into town is she'd gone to the bank um, to pay her bills. And I said, well, can't you do that online? And she said, well, I can't afford an internet connection and I certainly can't afford a computer. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and this is hmm. all the while the government and yeah, is no, really I, pushing for everything to be digitized. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But, but if you're going to do that, you have to recognise that there are people within your society who do not have the means to go digital themselves, and you have to do something about that to help them. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But I don't think they are. That's the problem. No, indeed. I think they're just focusing on the, let's just digitise everything, yes. and that, that will magically... I mean, we saw that also in, the, when, in these discussions relating to the... We had this uh, uh, election just here in Finland, uh, in these uh, healthcare regions that we now have here in Finland, so... There was a lot of talk about that. How well digitization will just uh, sort of save our necks when it comes to healthcare. Yeah, well, and it, it, it just won't it's not going to happen, is it? Not, no, not we know that. Certainly not no. by by itself and by just digitizing no. and hoping for the best. No, no. But then I think also sitting here in Finland, we we get a little bit um, carried away with this idea of digitalization. You know, everything's about digitalization. But I think if you travel to France, to Germany. Um, to, to the UK, I think there is probably a little bit less emphasis on digitalization. I mean, for banks, for example, I mean, you know, my mum, it's not a very big town where she lives, but there is still a local bank. And all right, yes, they've cut the number of opening hours, but you can still go there without an appointment and meet a human being and discuss your bank account or other financial needs that you might have. 
Um, so it hasn't quite all gone online in the UK. Yeah, no, so I mean, for example, in Germany, in the run-up to the previous, the most recent election, I mean, the, the very topic of digitalization was uh, one of the campaign issues there because Germany is uh, definitely far, farther behind than, than Finland. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was talking to somebody actually who um, is, is actually half German and they were saying that, you know, um, Germans still like cash and they still trust cash. And German businesses, the small you know, shops and, and, and restaurants and places like that, um, still appreciate cash, actually. They'd rather be paid in cash than in uh, with, with a plastic card. Yeah, no, I actually remember being, I, went, I, it was, I went to Munich some, some years back and uh, in the taxi, so you, you, you couldn't pay with a card. At yeah. all, you had to pay with cash. Yeah. Whereas in in Sweden, for example, they are they predicted some years back that Sweden would be entirely cashless within within a decade. Yeah. And I, I can definitely believe that I was in. It came as a surprise even to me when I was in. Uh, I don't remember what city I was in in Sweden, but anyway, I was gonna. Well, went to a cafe and bought a cup of coffee, and for some reason my card didn't work. So I was like, oh, well, can I pay in cash? And no, you could not. Hmm. The card only, so that was uh, a surprise to me as well. That at the time, but uh, yeah, I mean, my 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 barber here in Turku, he's cashless. Yeah, um, doesn't have the facilities to take cash at all. No. He says, well, he says, okay, he says, fine. If you if you must pay in cash, you, you have to have the exact amount because they have no yeah. um, change or anything like that. Yeah, and I know the buses now. I think you have to either pay with your card or have the one app, of these or the app or something. Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah. But you can't um, you can't pay with cash on a bus anymore. But again, you see, again, if we go back to the idea of inclusive inclusivity, um, what about people who, you know, perhaps don't have a debit card? I know it sounds like who hasn't got a debit card these days, but there are people. I'm sure there are that do not have Indeed. debit cards. No, I mean you see these old people that they still go to the bank to withdraw their pension in cash. Yes. I'm sure they don't have debit cards. So no. what happens when they want to get on the bus? They don't, I guess. No. Yeah. Start walking with your rollata. Yeah. yeah. With your mobility impairment, yeah. Well, no, that's right, yeah. 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 Yeah, no, but I mean, I think that's definitely mm. very, very... No, but I mean, there, there, are, there are still yeah. whole yeah. segments of society who are not included in this digitalization project. No, no, indeed. And, and, and it's definitely not just about age and the sort of like the generational no. shift. I mean, there's Mm-mm. people of all ages who are then yeah. sort of being excluded. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I, well, I mean, socioeconomic is one. Um, educational level, you know, do, do you actually have the intelligence to be able to use these things? Um, the interest even. Um, I mean, I know people who are very intelligent. They just have zero interest in technology and they don't want to know. Yeah. Yeah. But you still you can't exclude them from society. But that seems to be the road that we're going down. It, it yeah. seems to be the road we are going down. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, ju- I just watched this um, documentary on Netflix the other day called "The Social Dilemma," and again, there you are. You see that the, the, there were people who have been in the past responsible for actually developing these social media platforms. And then within that documentary, that they had a little kind of fictional skit going as well about this family, dysfunctional family. And the fact that if you do not have a social media presence, you basically do not have a social life at all. You are completely excluded. 
So stuff the COVID vaccine and being excluded because you haven't been vaccinated. Yeah, and I'll get, get Actually, you, yeah, I was going to say, you, you, your mobile phone is more important. Yeah, and it already has yeah. a 5G chip. Yes. I mean, you already, you already have a 5G chip. Why are you worrying about second one? <laughs> yeah. There's also a number of these accessibility things that one can do with AI. So, I mean, think, for example, speech recognition and using, uh, using speech commands, for example. So maybe we're talking about... Uh, Mobility impairment, yeah. uh, impairment. So using using speech to uh, to control things. Well, I, I actually do. Um, we we got a smart TV recently, and I've discovered that it, it actually has a built-in microphone. So if you go to, um, for example, Netflix, uh, not Netflix, sorry, um, YouTube, and you want to find something, you've got the choice of slowly typing it in on the keyboard that they provide, or you just talk to the microphone. And, and the microphone is incredibly accurate. Um, I think, I mean, you know, I'm loving it because it's saving me a load but, of time. Yeah, indeed. And, but I will, yeah, so I mean, it's not just about convenience because it's also for people who may not have the possibility to type in the first place. Well, that, that, that is also true. But no, I appreciate, I think I mentioned it in another podcast about my uncle. And, and he actually uses Alexa to set up smart homes yeah. for disabled people. Um, I mean, he's retired. I mean, this is just a sort of a, a charitable thing that he does. Um, but, um, you know, it can do anything. I mean, open your curtains, close your curtains, turn your TV on, turn it off, uh, turns on the taps, turn on the shower if you ask it to, um, adjust the heating. I think that, that's quite a big thing. Um, so if you start feeling too warm or too cold, you can just say, you know, turn up the heating to 22 degrees or whatever. No, no, absolutely. So, I mean, that's definitely one thing I would argue that AI can be of great benefit from an absolutely. accessibility perspective. Yeah. And, uh, and it's also happened quite a lot there in those in these last few years. Uh, when I started my my professional career, some well, starting to be the early two thousands. So the, the my very first sort of real job, like out of university, was uh, uh, we were pro- we were doing this sort of like accessibility programs. That was so long ago that we, they were not yet called apps. They were just uh, you know mobile software. Right. Yeah. So it was for one of these uh, Nokia. It wasn't smartphones yet either. It was one of these early communicators, uh, seventy-seven ten or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, anyway, that company went bust about six months after I joined the company. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, because these devices, I mean, they're expensive. They were incredibly expensive right, at, okay, at the yeah. time. So it wasn't your salary then. No, <laughs> my my salary contributed. <laughs> My paltry salary right out of university. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but uh, no, the, the device is extremely expensive, really small user base. There was only very, so it was a sort of like an application for people with particular sort of communicative mm. difficulties. So the the app helped by uh, to communicate through symbols actually. So a symbol corresponded to a particular word or a particular meaning, uh, kind of thing. And then there was also speech synthesis, so it could sort of say out loud. Well, the, okay, so there's like a semiotic, yeah, principle behind it or something, yeah. Yeah, indeed, and uh, but yeah, very small user base and extremely mm. expensive devices. Uh, so the the company, as as well-meaning and mm. idealistic as the idea behind it was, I mean, the the market circumstances were not were not as forgiving. But they probably would be today. That that is my point exactly. Yeah. So today it's. Uh, and that was another thing. It they were quite difficult to program these devices. Right now, nowadays it's uh, 
I could probably knock out the same application in, in an evening. <laughs> almost. Wow. Okay. So these guys were basically just ahead of their time. So I mean, definitely in the in the last 15, 10, 20 years, I mean, there's been great strides in technology, and I think that's has been of tremendous benefit from an accessibility perspective, absolutely. Mm -hmm.